we're hearing Sober Sisters Talk. I'm Elizabeth Pudwell and this is MG. MG and we are going to share our experience, strength and hope around multitude of programs that we've worked. Um, we're not focused on one specific program and we're not really focused on program but what we are, what we do want to do is to just bring our version of sobriety and how we bring it into life. Uh, like I said last week, it's real easy to be um, sober and um, on a point in a meeting. Right. Not so easy out in the world. Right. So, for example, I'm a veteran, and I went to the VA this week, and uh, they told me that it was a walk-in basis for this one test I had to have. And I go in and I walk in and they say, oh, this test has expired. The order has expired from your doctor. And so I was like, well, contact my doctor. She's down in the women's clinic. And they tried to contact the doctor. They were on instant messenger. There's no calling. You don't call anybody. It's just such a bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And so I went down to the women's clinic and I tried to talk to the doctor and they were like, oh no, she doesn't do consults or look at anything like this until after she's done for the day. And so this was like, you know, 10.30 in the morning. And it, I, I was furious. And there's a whole backstory as to why she wanted me to have this test, which I think is, is bull. But I complied with her to take the test so that she would do what I, um, what I felt like I needed to do. And I was so angry and so upset. And, you know, the poor woman sitting there she said, do you want to speak to a patient advocate? And I went, yes, I do. And then I thought, no, I don't because I'm furious. And I don't want to talk from a place of being really super angry where I'm not composed. And I didn't want to say anything to these poor women that have to work at the VA. So I said, you know what? I'm going to leave because I don't want to say anything that I'm going to regret. And that's one of the things that recovery and 12-step has taught me is, you know. It's a gift. I don't need to make an amends. It's a discernment, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, if I do this, then I don't have to make an amends later. I just shut my mouth <laughs> and I left. You know, and I'll sort out the whole issue later when I'm in a much more composed manner. But, you know, I just was like, I felt still angry, but I felt recovered. And then, you know, you have to be, you have to valet at the VA because you can't park because there's no parking. Parking fills up within 30 minutes, and so you have to valet, and it takes 30 minutes to drop your car off, 30 minutes to pick your car up. And I got to sit on the bench with a Vietnam vet, and we had an amazing conversation. We talked about that Kim Burns documentary, and, uh, you know, and, and he was like, you know, how was your tour? I was like, I was just sexually harassed for three years and was miserable, you know. <laughs> I didn't get shot usual. at. I didn't, I didn't have friends <laughs> die, you know? Yeah, just harassed. Just, you know, harassed. Not only sexually, but just harassed. Really, really bad for three years. And then the dysfunctional. Oh, my God. Hierarchical, yes. patriarchal. Yes. Military. So, uh, so, yeah. So, you know, for me, my recovery is about what I say when I'm at the VA and I'm livid. It's about being out in the world because I don't want to make an amends. And that's some of the gifts that I've gotten from that. Right. And it isn't that, you know, and I'm not saying for you, it's not about making the amends. It's about emitting the behavior around needing to make the amends. That's 
what motivates me is I don't want to I don't want to admit emit that behavior. Well, and like let's say that somebody you know saw you, and I mean not that I'm trying to people please, but it's like you know I feel like you know in a way if you like you know they say if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths. And so if I exhibit a behavior and like, well, I definitely don't want that, right. you know, that that's part of it is that, you know, I feel like I need to be living my life in a spiritual way. Like, you know, there's that saying that, you know, I need to be spiritually fit before I go out the door. Right. So, you know, being spiritually fit and going out in the world is, is really important to me and living life on life's terms, as they say. And we're going to, you know, we're going to experience frustrations. You're, you know, there's no way around that, you know, but, um, and, and it's true. And I want to retain my own recovery and um, behave in a manner that I'm proud of all the time. Right. I don't, but I want to. It is the intention. <laughs> right. Right. So today we wanted to talk about um, intimacy and um, I was sharing with Melody before we started taping here that um, I was working with someone who shared with me she had multiple abortions. And um, as we began talking, I realized that she'd never really shared this information with me. And so I asked her, I said, you know, did your ex-husband know this? And she's, no. And she got real like, no, I would not tell anybody that. And it brought up this conversation between us about um, intimacy. And I, I asked her, I said, so if you were hiding that and some other risky past behavior from your ex-husband, what do you think he was hiding from you? And she said, yeah, he did have secrets and he did hide things from me. And that, so this morning I led a meeting and I led it on creating real intimacy with um, people in your life and you know I'm not saying that you if you've had an abortion you need to go out and tell everybody you know that no that's not what I mean at all however um, I have a very intimate relationship with Melanie with MG <laughs> and we um, we share things like that with each other and I have intimate relationships with other women in the program and we share, you know, things that I wouldn't share with everybody. Now, I do have to be discerning, and I did share in the meeting that, you know, this whole thing about, you know, being having secrets and what it is that we have to get out there. So one of the points when we were doing this was um, that you have to kind of take risks. It's sort of, uh, you know, that risk where you're kind of like, you know, you need to measure it. It's a measured risk. But you do have to take risks and share things with people, especially when you sponsor someone. Right. Because right. you may, as a sponsee, you may share something with me, and the way that I relate to you is to say, this is my experience with that. Right. And in doing so, you and I have shared some intimacy. And I read in a book um, early on in recovery how when I share something with you, it's like it gives an invisible string, like a fishing line in between us. You're okay. shooting a little invisible arrow? And that in between us. And then when you share back, there's another one that goes back to me. And so at first, it's just a couple of strings, but then as we develop our relationship, it becomes more and more. 
until it's like a net yeah. and a web yeah. and a very strong one. Yeah. And then that, that creates the intimacy for our relationship. Yeah. Well, and that's where I've really learned how to build relationships is in recovery and with people who are working some kind of program or working in therapy or doing, you know, with different modalities. And, uh, you know, and I have several close girlfriends and even a guy friend where, you know, there are things that I felt like I needed to get off my chest with them. And, and it, was, it was scary to me. And these are people that, you know, I've built strong relationships with. And it was still even a challenge for me to be able to speak my truth. And, um, you know, and, and in every situation that those, you know, situations came around, they ended up being not only um, good, but really fantastic. That it was like, it was a deepening of our uh, relationship. And, and I'll, I'll share some specifics around one friend who um, I feel suffers, and I'm gonna take her inventory just a little bit, and that's just a teaching point. Because we do, we take each other's inventory all the time, but I feel like that one of my friends has just, you know, um, for years, like probably 20, 25 years, has been suffering from, you know, sex and love addiction in some form or another. And this person calls me because she knows I have uh, a lot of training and wisdom around this. We talk, she feels better, she continues on her way. She gets in a jam, she calls me, she feels better, and she goes on her way. And I realized that me talking to her and spending 30, 35 minutes of my time listening to her cry about so-and-so, whoever it is, was not really helping. And, and that like stunned me because I was like, I love this, I love this person. I want to help her. She's my friend. And so finally I had to say, you know what? I think you need to go to a meeting. And you want to go to yoga? But not talk about the thing. And she's like, well, what do I do about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, I think you need to go to a meeting. Get a sponsor? I mean, there's a whole program out there. She goes, well, now what meeting? And I'm like, look <laughs> it up. Yeah. It's online. But so, and that's, that, that's one of the points that came up out of the meeting today was that, um, you know, resolving conflict is a form of intimacy. You do have to get brave enough to say that. Yeah, you know, and the discernment and the friends that I have today are friends that I've had for long enough time that I trust that I can say what I need to say. And I even had a, a situation with, you know, my brother, like um, I moved back from New York and I moved back to Houston and I am uh, doing some financial recovery and a condo came up for sale and I'm not ready to buy anything yet, but uh, a condo came up for sale and I needed a little bit of extra money. And so one of the big things in my family of origin is that we don't ask each other for money in our family. Uh, my brother, I feel like has plenty of money. And so, you know, it was a real challenge for me just to get up the courage to ask him for the money because I was going against our whole family dynamic. You know, you don't ask for money, you be self-reliant, you be self-sufficient. And so it was a big step for me just to even ask him for the money. And so I gave him the ask. I sent him the details of the property. I said, you know, and we'll work out a payment schedule and I'll get you paid back ASAP. And I said, don't tell me right away. This is on a Friday. And I said, let me know on Sunday. And he was like, okay. 
And uh, so, and I just felt horrible. I felt so sick. I felt so miserable because I was going against that family dynamic. I was going against my programming. And, uh, and I prayed about it and I let it go. And then I talked to him on Sunday and I said, hey, uh, let's talk about, you know, um, you loaning me some cash. And uh, he said, I'm going to pass. And, and I'm like, okay. And he said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, why? What's going on? He goes, my brother shared this with me. He goes, I was afraid to tell you no because I was afraid you would be mad at me. And when he said that to me, I was like, wow. And that was like a real intimate moment with mm -hmm. my brother. And I said, I'm not mad at all. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen. If it was meant to happen, it would come to pass. I don't have to like, you know, there's a phrase called force a solution. I don't have to force a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel comfortable about it, then okay. And so that was like another example of me kind of pushing through my discomfort. And, you know, he was able to share with me that he was afraid to say no because he was afraid I would be mad at him. And then you guys got closer we did. as a result. We did. So another one of the, there's two of the talking points that came up when you said that. And one was uh, that you have to be intimate with, inti you have to develop intimacy with yourself and know yourself, mm -hmm. which, you know, you were able to exert some of that in this thing with your brother, you know? Right. Having that discernment, like, you know, we don't, do this in our family you know that self-knowledge like this is not part of our culture or you know whatever so that's a really important aspect of creating intimacy with other people is knowing you cross that boundary that you know expecting that he may there's two possible results there and you guys came to you know you don't hate each other you know like not at all not at all. And I think that it's my recovery and my growth that he knew that he was safe to even speak that to me, to even say those words. I was afraid to be mad at him me. for doing yeah. so. That's a scary thing to say. Yeah, for sure. Right. You know, and my brother, I mean, you know, he's like, he's very wise in so many ways. And I'm opening up to that and like, you know, really hearing him for the first time. So... You know, with my friends, it's easy to have a relationship and intimacy where I can open up and share myself. And, you know, and I'm developing that more and more with my family. And, you know, for me, I don't know that I've ever had like um, an intimate relationship with someone from the opposite sex and, you know, a romantic relationship. I feel like, you know, in my youth, when you get into that whole like, you know, chemical brain thing where you fall in love and you share stuff intimately I don't think that that's really like true intimacy well what I do think, you think I think for me what I did is I take the physical part of it and try to accelerate the the, the emotional intimacy so I, I use physical intimacy that's why I'm in SLAA because I use the physical intimacy of touch and sex in order to try to create, you know, to fashion real intimacy. And it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't do it. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard that in terms of, you know, um, 
you know, an anthropological perspective is that, you know, sex is there to deepen an already existing relationship and to cement and, you know, keep those ties right. going. Yeah. So that's why I love in, you know, the program for sex and love addiction where, you know, the, the whole dating plan you know, talks about like the whole idea of taking it slow, really getting to know this individual, and um, you know, having set time limits on like, you know, um, how long do you go before you hold hands, or you hug, or you kiss, or you make love. And those can be different for different people depending on their history, right. but it's about, you know, creating that true bond, that true friendship before you get to, you know, the really Which deep stuff. Which comes from this. Correct. Not this. <laughs> the opposite way. I did it the opposite. Yes. Well, for me, it's like I thought that's how you did it, you know, and I thought that's what you did and that would create We didn't it. know any better. I didn't Nobody know. Nobody knew any better. But that I was, do know better now. I do know better and now. And I'm not going to do it that way. That's right. Okay, so another talking point that came up in the meeting that one of the women brought up was to ask questions. That you need to um, be able to, which is what you did. Like when he said to you, um, are you okay? And you said, why? And he said, I was afraid you'd be mad. So if you didn't ask that question, if you would have said, yes, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. He never would have shared that with you. So asking the question is just like you opened the door for like you made it safe. Well, it's so strange because, you know, he never really asked me about myself. So I was like, What's, what is What's that? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Why do you want to know that? What, why is so that important? So he's like doing work too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Creating real intimacy. Sure. Sure. I love that. Yeah. So another thing that was brought up in the meeting today was um, handling rejection. Mm. You know, mm. if you get rejected, if you ask somebody and they reject you. And I know, like, I did that with my boss. I asked my boss, I wanted to do something. And she said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And it's like, I felt like, oh, I wish I hadn't asked, you know? Yeah, I felt yeah. like an idiot. I felt yeah. my face. But it, do, it does feel like, you know, because we were able to transcend that, I didn't have to, like, go back, oh, that bitch or whatever, you know, get mad and just instead be like, okay, it doesn't have anything to do with me. And it's okay, and I think that every time that we do something, we get closer. Right, right. And more comfortable. There's a book called The Four Agreements. Mm -hmm. I Miguel. I used to call it The Four Arguments. I could never remember it because <laughs> I didn't want to read it. And I finally read it, and uh, one of the things he talked about was that it's not about you. Even when it's about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And so I love that. And so, you know, I was, uh, you know, trying to be an actor in New York City for a minute, and I had a lot of rejection. And I was pretty good about not taking it on, saying, I'm just not the right fit, it's, I'm just not the right type. But I think that after a while, when there was no yeses, and just no, 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 I had to look at that rejection, which is what it is, even though it's like no fault of my own, as a way to kind of explore um, where I wanted to find my yes. You know, I'm getting a lot of no's. And so I, you know, decided just to be really introspective and like check in with my higher power. And I, I tell the story, it's like I was 
living in Brooklyn and I was sharing an apartment with four other people and I lived in a dining room that was partitioned off and I was like, God, I'm so miserable in Brooklyn. I miss Houston. What is your will for me? God, I hate Brooklyn. I miss Houston. God, what is your will for me? You know, and it was like, it's obvious. It's like, you know, God's will is in a way my happiness in a very simplified form. And for me to be able to know what's really gonna make me happy. And you know, my life has changed, you know, remarkably since I've come back. And it was all based on this idea of rejection. That, you know, uh, there was all these doors I felt like were closing. And, and so it's like, why am I knocking on these doors? What is it in this hallway that, you know, I want to try to accomplish? And there's a whole world out there of like things to say yes, that right. will, you know, say yes. And Absolutely. so come back to Houston and I, you It was the power of choice. Right. Stop living in a, you know, like a teenager and come back here and have a life like an adult. I'm a grown damn woman. Exactly. So I'm sitting there thinking like, um, we're talking about intimacy and recovery. What does intimacy have to do with recovery? Well, I think that's like one of the goals of recovery to be able to have those relationships and that, you know, to be like fully whole. Because I, I know that, you know, I used sex and drugs and, you know, um, love addiction and alcohol to be the avoidant, to shut all that stuff down. So I really didn't have to show you who I was right. and... Here's my soul. Right. And I didn't really care about years either unless we were partying. So I think that all of that stuff was a block to intimacy. And so being in recovery has opened me up to that. And is it scary? Sure. I don't know that there's anyone, scary. you know, sober or not sober with a problem, you know, that can really, you know, say, I got this down. It's a progress. Even Brene Brown, who writes all these books about, you know, um, you know, mental health and like becoming, overcoming um, shame. Correct. And, yeah. You know, she talks about that as well with her own husband, you know, how she's so, even the healthiest and most wise and knowledgeable of us, I think, struggle with it. Yeah. But it is so rewarding because for me, um, you know, having relationships with people like you, I feel known, which is I am in program because of my, that is my key thing, is not feeling known, not feeling understood not feeling mm -hmm. significant and when I do share like when I do create the intimacy and there's reciprocity and we're in this relationship and we're doing it together um, I feel known and I'm able to that to know you right, and, right. And, and you really see me and you see my light and I see your light and that's the beautiful thing and it's like you know you're just badass in my humble opinion. And I can remember when I first saw you in a meeting, uh, not the one where, you know, I saw, I, I saw you in several different types of meetings. And I, I was like, look at that cool chick. You were so tall and cool. And I think you might've been leading the meeting that time. And, uh, and I just observed you. I observed you in that meeting. And then when I went to the other, other uh, program, I observed you in there. And just your, um, you know, steadfastness, that there's just something about you that is just really grounded. 
And so, and I think that's why a lot of people want you to be their sponsor and they knock on your door and say, hey, because you know, your recovery kind of speaks for yourself. You also don't tolerate any BS. And some people say, you know, that that might be this, you know, uh, I, I don't know what you would call it, but. Oh, they're scared. Yeah, there are people who are scared and that's okay. That's okay. I just think that like, for me, when I create intimacy, there are risks and it is scary. And I shared this morning, you know, I did that op-ed um, piece that ran with the Chronicle and... Um, About not being able to vote. Yes. Yeah. And um, I shared with the whole world that I'm a convicted felon. And um, I did have to think about it before I wrote it. It was a personal essay about being a convicted felon and not being able to vote. And I work at this newspaper and it is a newspaper in the fourth largest city in the United States. And so I put it out there, but, um, so the fear was is the repercussions, um, readers and people saying something back, you know, oh, you deserved it or, you know, whatever. And people do do that, readers respond that way. But I didn't get any of that. There wasn't any negative repercussions at all. In fact, it was very, very positive. And on the flip side of that, additionally, I got information and I was able to register to vote. The laws had changed. And March 6th, I actually voted. So, yes. Oh yeah, hell yeah. So there's, there's gifts right. um, beyond, you know, having soulful relationships right. and that's really what it is I so I wanted to ask you so go ahead and continue I, I just so appreciate that yeah. it's so valuable yeah. you know not just with you but with other women and friends that I have and people in program people out of program the relationship with my boss at work and that I don't you know vomit everything and try to create this intimacy with her and let our relationship be you know as intimate as it needs to be um and i just and then i have my sisters and you know it's just i really value it that to the level where it is well now i know that you dated someone last year and you know and you dated this individual for a while and then you stopped uh and talk to me about um intimacy in relation to that journey that you took with that person so yeah, we, the, in fact, one of my favorite conversations with him was um, about escalating our physical relationship. And I said, it's gonna take me a while because I'm a rape victim. And um, he responded in a way that was so kind and um, supportive and encouraging and, you know, sort of, you know, wow, I'm sorry. and. Nobody should, no, no woman should ever have that happen to her. Wow. And yeah, it was really, you know, and although we never did actually have sex um, or escalate beyond, you know, where we were at that point, um, I do really appreciate that about him. And, you know. Was that what you were expecting? Did you expect him to respond that way? Or were you fearful? I, I think I was fearful. Mm. I think I was fearful of uh, what were you wearing? What did you do? What did you say? Interesting. You know, maybe he was just this or that, you yeah. know? Huh. Yeah. Right, great. Putting it back on me. There wasn't any of that. He didn't ask me a qu one question. He just was like, no woman should ever have to feel that way. I like this guy. <laughs>
I know you did too. He had other other yeah. issues, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. fine, you know. But um, you know, that, right. that's either neither right. here nor there. Mm. But so, thank you. I appreciate yeah. this. This has been a very intimate conversation. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I love you. And we want to increase our intimacy with you. Um, so we're going to come back next week, next time. And we're going to have another topic for you and share more on how we take our sobriety out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. Elizabeth Pudwell. We'll catch you next time. Good night. All right.